I like to be clear and concise and, and making sure everyone's on the same page. I like to ask questions to make sure that I know they understand it. And then down the line, if they don't get something, I, I pause all work, I take a step back, I reset the expectations or re-explain it and make sure they get it. And only when they do, do I take a step forward. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and I'm super excited about today's guest, Nathan Hirsch. He's a 30-year-old entrepreneur of 10 years and an expert in remote hiring and e-commerce. He started his first e-commerce business out of his college dorm room and sold $30 million online. We're definitely going to take a deeper dive into that. But now he's the co-founder and CEO of FreeUp.com, a marketplace that connects businesses with pre-vetted virtual assistants, freelancers and agencies in e-commerce, digital marketing, and much more. He regularly appears on leading podcasts such as Entrepreneur on Fire and speaks at live events about online hiring tactics. And we're going to talk about those today. Nathan, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Dr. Richard, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. This is going to be awesome. A lot of people are increasingly becoming curious about hiring virtual assistants and how that staffing can impact things. And we're definitely going to take some time and talk about that. But as you know, when I interview people on my show, I like to get into their journey, find out what got them started. Now, I know that you had that first e-com business out of your dorm room, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But even prior to that, uh, what really kind of started you down this entrepreneurial journey? Did you have people in your life that inspired you that way? What, what was the deal? So my parents were both teachers growing up. So I kind of grew up with a mentality that I go to school, get good grades, get into a good college, get a real job, work for 30 years, retire. And they, they always want to teach me a good work ethic. So from the time I was 15, 16, whatever the legal age was, I always had full-time jobs. Every summer, every break, I worked at a company called Shea Joseph, which is a catering company. I worked at Aaron's, which is kind of like a rent-a-center. I worked at Firestone uh, Corporate uh, as an intern there. And I learned a ton about business and marketing and customer service. And I got to work next to the CEOs behind the scenes a little bit, which is pretty cool. But I also realized how much I hated working for other people and how much I just hated that whole clock in, clock out mentality and watching the clock go by. I couldn't wait to leave every day. And so when I got to college, I, I quickly kind of looked at that as a ticking clock because I had four years to start my own business where I was going to go into the real world. And I'd already gotten a glimpse of what the real world was and I, I didn't want any part of it. So that was honestly the biggest motivating factor. But there were other people in my life. My aunt was an entrepreneur and I saw her progress and buy bigger houses and have a lot of freedom and work from home and got to talk to her about the, the pros and cons of it. Um, and my mom actually ended up starting a, a nonprofit too. So a little different than what I was doing, but I got to see a glimpse into that. Um, so she was like a teacher plus a, a founder of a nonprofit um, kindergarten. So that I definitely had glimpses of entrepreneurship, but it really stemmed from my desire to not work for other people. 
It's so interesting. You know, so many people go into college not having a clue about what they're going to do on the back end. And you actually, it was almost like a, a warning for you. Like if you didn't figure it out in advance, you were going to be destined to have to go into the corporate world, which you already knew that you were not going to be happy with, which is wild. Yeah. <laughs> so, so talk to us about that business you started in college. $30 million in online sales is really awesome. So what was the idea... What, what were the challenges? How did it all go down? So I, I remember buying textbooks for hundreds of dollars and trying to sell them back to the bookstore for pennies in the dollar. And I got pretty upset and I said, you know what? I can do this better. So I used that summer money that I had made to start my own textbook business. I started buying people's textbooks and then I would sell them to different online distributors. And one of those distributors was amazon.com. This is 2008. No one really knew what Amazon was. For, for now, for then it was a big textbook business, big bookstore, and I could sell back my books. So started selling these books, created a referral program. Before I knew it, there was a line out the door of people trying to sell me their books to the point where I got a cease and desist letter from my college telling me to knock it off because I was stealing too much of their business. So that was kind of a wake-up call. My parents were both teachers. I really didn't want to get kicked out of college. That would not have gone over well. So I pivoted. I, I thought it was so cool I could have this Amazon storefront it was 24-7. I could use my customer service skills. Money would get deposited in my bank account. And I just had to figure out what to sell besides books. So I started experimenting with products I was familiar with, video games, computers, sporting equipment, like typical college guy stuff. And I just failed over and over and over. The only thing I could get to sell on Amazon were these books. And it wasn't until I branched out of my comfort zone and found the baby product industry that my business really took off. So if you can imagine me as a 20-year-old college kids selling baby products on Amazon. That was me. And I kind of went in with the mentality that I had not much cash. I didn't have a warehouse to store anything. <laughs> so I came up with the idea of dropshipping years before I even knew it was called dropshipping. Uh, the idea that I could buy something from a manufacturer and the, the manufacturer didn't really know about Amazon back then. So I could pitch them and be like, hey, I, I have another sales channel for you. All you have to do is ship the product where I tell you to. You can keep my credit card on file and you can charge me for every order. And on the flip side, I'd mark it up and put it on Amazon and keep track of inventory and pricing changes. And when an order would come in, I'd send it over to the manufacturer, they'd ship it to the customer, and I would make that difference. And I got into Amazon at a really good time, and that business quickly took off. That's wild. And I'm kind of laughing about the university sending you the cease and desist. And so you had your online business now. This was your path forward to where... You didn't have to join that rat race that you were so terrified of joining. Talk to us about what happened after college. What did, what, what did you learn and what were the developments? Yeah. So I grown this business. I ended up gotten, getting lucky and finding a business partner. Um, his name's Connor. He actually works with me on FreeUp now. But that last week of college was actually really stressful. I had some job offers. And my parents, although they support me no matter what I did, they definitely thought the better, safer decision was to take those job offers and get the health insurance and the benefits and the stable job and income. And I'm over here running this Amazon business. That's doing pretty good. I'm, I'm making $100,000 a year, but Amazon is Amazon. They can shut you down at any time. There's lots of changes. There's really no stability there. Not to mention, no one really knew what being an Amazon seller was. Trying to tell other people what that is. They thought I was running a scam or an MLM. No one really understood it. So I was in a weird place. And I remember talking to my aunt, who I mentioned before, and spending a good hour on the phone just pacing around my backyard or front yard and <laughs> just talking to her about the pros and cons. And I ended that conversation with the, the, the mentality that, listen, I'm young. These jobs are not going anywhere. I can always go out and get a job. 
but I'm making enough to survive. I'm enjoying it. And there's obviously a lot of potential there. And I, it, I'm going to regret if I don't at least try it. So after college, I turned down those job offers and I never had a real job after college. And, and I started on the Amazon path. And we ended up moving down to Florida and opening up an office, probably one of my worst business decisions, taking all these remote people that were happy and forcing them to come to the office and creating a nine to five job for myself and, and really adding overhead to a business that didn't need it. We were drop shipping. We didn't have need a warehouse or anything. And what ended up happening was I had hired people through the Upworks and the Fivers. And I thought that I could just build a better platform, something faster, something that was already pre-vetted where people didn't have to browse and spend hours going through applicants. And if someone quit, you were protected. And I kept looking and looking for that. And when I couldn't find it, I built it myself. So the Amazon business, I we sold over $25 million on Amazon. We peaked out at about $5 million a year. So all of a sudden, the courses, the gurus, the other Amazon sellers start appearing and Amazon becomes harder and harder. So we're not really growing a brand. It's not our products. We, we don't have a patent or a trademark in any of this. We're selling other people's products. And our sales probably stay around two to three million a year. So we're no longer growing. We're not selling products that we own. We're not selling products we're passionate about because we're not selling about baby products. And that got old really fast, even though we were still making pretty good money. And I had started this free up concept on the side. I essentially taken my Rolodex of, of freelancers that we had vetted using a process that we had spent a lot of years making and started offering them to other Amazon sellers. Well, that business quickly took off and surpassed our Amazon sales. And with that, I was growing my brand. I was helping other business owners instead of just helping my back pocket. And it became a lot more fun. And, and Connor and I made the decision to move away from the Amazon business and just focus on free up. And we took that vetting process and added to the marketplace. We invested in software and hiring other VAs to help the internal team. And the rest is history. And, and I want to take a, a much deeper dive into free up, of course. But so let's let's do this though. Let's take a higher level view of the, the VA industry because. I, and in general, the, the the shift that we're starting to see towards a gig economy, because the landscape has shifted a lot. And there there may be people listening to this who are not really familiar with the concept. Uh, I mean, most people understand, you know, the, the fibers and the upworks, like you mentioned. But the the idea for a lot of people of hiring somebody to play a central role in your business virtually it is still unsettling particularly you know the stigma associated with you know hiring people from other countries and you know the controls and the security and safety and all this stuff so high level overview let's let's talk about you know what you're seeing in terms of the state of the industry and how using virtual staffing is a benefit before we even talk a little bit more free up yeah, I mean, you go back 20 years, if you want to hire someone, they had to be full-time. They had to be in your town or the town next to you. You needed an office. And, and that was really what you had to do if you wanted to scale. And fast forward to today, you get access to people all over the US, all over the world at different price points with different skill sets. You can hire people full-time, part-time. You can hire people project-based. You can build a Rolodex of reliable graphic designers and writers and creatives that you can go to for, for different things. You can hire agencies to to handle your marketing or your social media channels. So it just gives you a lot of flexibility as an entrepreneur that you really didn't used to have. And there's so many great channels like Skype and Slack, and there's ways to protect yourself like LastPass and user permissions. So the whole industry is going that way, whether you like it or not. So your choices are keep doing it the old way or do probably what your competitors are doing and adapt to the gig economy and use it. And you kind of have the choice of, hey, do I do entirely remote, like free up? We only hire people from our own platform. We're entirely remote. We have no plans on getting an office. Do you go 
entirely office, which a lot of big companies have done and are very successful, but it's a high cost, high risk. And Or you could do some kind of hybrid of it. We have clients who have an office or they have one or two people that go to their, their co-working space or whatever it is. And then they also use remote people. So you really have the flexibility to do it however you want it. And I encourage people to at least open their mind to it and try it out because if you get good at it, if you are able to find good people, it opens up a lot of opportunities for your business. So that's one thing that you said that was interesting. If you, if you get good people, because obviously, if you don't have to have staff in the office, you don't need an office, you, there's that overhead you don't need thing that you talked about that when you made yourself miserable for that brief period of time. But talk to us about how to vet people. So I know you guys pre-vet people, but for somebody listening to this, how do you know who's good, who can do what you need, who's not scamming you? How do you figure out those red flags? So we've had people for skill, attitude, and communication. And I realized a long time ago that when you just hire people for skill, a lot of times that's when you run into the problems. People might have five-star reviews and some good samples and all that. And then you hire them and you're wondering three months later why it didn't work out with such a talented person. And Skill is great. We vet people for skill. We put them through skill tests. We don't care if they're a 10 out of 10, a 5 out of 10, a 3 out of 10. What we care about is are they honest about what they can and cannot do and are they priced accordingly? That's what it comes down to. Then there's attitude. Attitude is so important. We do one-on-one interviews. We want people who are passionate about what they do. They're not just in it for the payments. If they're a graphic designer, they love doing graphic design. It's like I love being an entrepreneur. We want people who don't get aggressive the second that things don't go their way. I think we've all we all know that not all clients and not all situations are in business are rainbows and butterflies. There's there's gonna be tough times, tough things that come up. And you want people that can be the bigger man, be the bigger woman and, and be more professional. Um, we want people who are positive and bring positivity and helpfulness and collaboration. And then you've got the communication, which is a key to everything, especially remote. We want people who respond within a business day. You can obviously speak your language at a high level, you can get on the same page quickly who if they have a personal issue can let you know and, and not miss due dates and stuff like that. So we have 15 pages of communication best practices that they have to memorize and get tested on. And what's funny is when you find people that have a great attitude and great communication skills, they tend to be a lot more honest about what they can do on the skill side. So it all kind of, come, it all kind of comes together. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you. And I can't wait to see where you'll go. So talk to us a little bit more uh, about, you, you said that you know, there's, there's fast, uh, last pass and there's things that you can do. But in terms of using people who are, who are out of this country, that's something that's becoming in, increasingly used. And I know the Philippines is, is a large source of talent. Talk to us about what are the, the risks and the benefits of using international talent? Yeah. I mean, there's always going to be a risk. Even if you hire your best friend to sit right next to you, there's always a chance he does something stupid or, or jeopardize your business in some way. And hiring remote is no different. Now, I've been doing this a long time. I've hired people remote for 10 years now. I've never had a serious issue, knock on wood. We've been 
running free up for three plus years now. We bill over 18,000 hours a week. And these freelancers and virtual assistants and agencies on our platform, they care a lot more about making sure you're happy, staying on our platform, getting more clients on our platform, and growing their freelance business than they do about jeopardizing your information. Now, I'm sure if we bill enough hours, eventually something will happen because that's real life. But the percentages are a lot smaller than, than people think. And you can do normal things to protect yourself. I mean, we have them sign a, an NDA. It's in our terms of use. But are, at the end of the day, are you really going to chase someone across the Philippines over a piece of paper? Right. You can give them last pass and set up user permissions and give them access over time and build trust. And, but the number one way to really protect yourself is to build relationships with people that you work with. I've had people that have quit on me who I've, I've fired and they didn't want to hurt me. I didn't want to hurt them because... I built a relationship. I treated them well and with respect and we're on the same side and I look for those red flags and there's really no substitute. You can put all the protections in place, but the number one protect way to protect yourself, in my opinion, is to build relationships, no matter how much or how little you work with someone. I have a graphic designer that I use once a month for small projects and I still build a relationship with her because I'm building that Rolodex of reliable people that I can go to just like I would with my full-time VA who monitors my emails all day. I love that. And so somebody listening to this, let's say they're like, okay, you know, Nathan, this makes sense to me. I want to jump into this. But the question that a lot of people might have is, how do you find that right person for your business? Because obviously you're vetting people, you said skills and attitude and whatnot. But for me as a potential hiree or employer rather, I guess, or contractor, what's the right term? Client. (laughs) I don't know what the right term is, but if you're bringing someone on, whether it's project-based or you're looking for them to fill a regular slot for you, it's important obviously to find that right fit for your business. So how does somebody who's sitting on this side of the desk find that right person? How do they know, know what to ask in the interviews and things like that? Yeah, I mean, the easy answer is go to freeup.com, create an account, put in a request. But what I always tell people is, listen, I can get you really good people, but if you don't know what you're looking for and you don't know what to do with them after the fact, that doesn't do you much good. So the way I like to break it down is you got three levels of people you can hire. You got the followers, you got the doers, and you got the experts. So followers, five to 10 bucks an hour, non-US, they have years of experience because we're not a marketplace for newbies, but they're there to follow your system, your process. If you don't have a system and process, you're going to struggle to hire those people. Then you got the specialists, the mid-level, the graphic designers, the bookkeepers, the writers. You're not teaching a graphic designer how to be a graphic designer, but they're not consulting with you either. They're there to do projects that you're not good at at a high level. And then you got the experts, the 30 and up, the people who can bring their own systems, their own cross to the table. They can audit, they can provide strategy, consult. They could be an agency, high-level freelancer, consultant. And that's for stuff that you need expertise right away. You could spend the next six months learning how to be a Facebook ad expert, but you can't do that with every single part of your business. And at some point, you have to hire experts who can hit the ground running to help you with whatever that is. So once you've divided that up, you have to figure out where are you as an entrepreneur? Are you someone that's stuck in the day-to-day operations of your business? Are you someone where projects are building up and you need to get those done? Are you someone that's taking on something that you're not good at that you really need expertise to help you and, and save you from making a lot of mistakes. So, and, and the average entrepreneur needs different things. You might need two projects in the mid-level. You might need a VA part-time. And then at some point, you need to do some marketing or branding or UI, UX, whatever it is. So figuring out where you are as an entrepreneur and what you need is first. And I obviously try to start with the easiest thing. If you haven't hired before, maybe start with the VA. If, if you want to take some cash off your plate and focus on getting five to 10 hours a week or hire someone to build that website and 
or do that graphic design. If someone messes up a graphic design, your, your business isn't over. So it's small things like that that are stepping stones. But then after the fact, once you do find someone, let's say you get them on, on the free up platform, but practice on things that you can control, setting expectations, communication, giving feedback, building that, that relationship. And we have a lot of content in our Facebook group, Outsourcing Masters, to really help people on the way, whether it's interview questions, an expectations guide, a one-time project doc to get 100% on the same page with scope and resources like that. So figuring out what you want before and what you're going to control after is incredibly important. Now, that all makes sense. You know, one of the things I'm also thinking about, you mentioned that there's these different levels and maybe you need an expert, maybe you need a mid-level person. What if you don't know? What if you don't know what you need? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm not in the position of consulting with people. I'm not a business coach. So I don't go into a business and be like, oh, you need to hire this person, this person, this person. That's not really my role. Um, you do have to do some self-reflecting. You can meet with your team. You can meet with your business partner. Um, you can meet with yourself and go through and create two lists. The first list is, Everything you do on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis, put a dollar value next to each task. This is a $5 an hour task, a $50 an hour task. How many hours a week is it taking? And prioritize it either by easiest or by things you just don't like doing. <laughs> and start at the top of that list and chip down. And as you get lower, you're going to get better at hiring and more comfortable and more comfortable delegating and getting stuff off your plate. And then the other list is things that you're not good at, but you're constantly find yourself doing. If you're not good at bookkeeping, but you're doing your books every month, It's probably something you should take off your plate. Same thing with web development or whatever it is. So starting with those two lists, what you things you already have processes for that you want to stop doing to get your time back and tasks that you're doing that you're not good at, that's a great place to start. So I'm wondering if you could take us through, you know, you guys have been doing this for a while. For somebody listening, maybe thinking, hey, you know, could I could I get kind of an example of a success story? Is there a particular client or a experience that you could share where uh, the work that you guys are doing have had a significant impact not only on their business, but perhaps the lives of people you're doing this for. Yeah. I mean, Tonya Rukla, who I have her testimonials and her case study on my website. She's someone who I met at a conference through some different people. And at the time, she was running three businesses with her husband. I think it might even been more than three businesses. And they were really doing everything. And they had had some bad hiring experiences with the VA. So I gave them some free credit to try out some people. And, and now... I, I don't know, even know how long we've worked together. Two years plus later, she's got multiple VAs for each business handling all the day-to-day operations. And she kind of learned from them. I mean, she has had a lot of good hires, but there's been a few that were good VAs or good freelancers, but they weren't the right fit for her business. So she really learned what to look for, what the working style that she likes, the type of people that she likes working with, and then how to communicate with people internationally. That was probably the first time she ever talked to someone in the Philippines before. And there's a little bit of a learning curve, even though they speak English at a high level and figuring out how to communicate at an effective level to, to get what you want done. So that's one. We, we have a lot. We have a lot of case studies on our website. And there's been different horror stories where we had someone uh, named Norman, also a good client of ours, who hired a family to run his business. And one day, the entire family quit on him. And he wow. came to us in panic. And within 48 hours, we had him a brand new team of VAs. And he's been using them ever since and referring other people to us. So we, we've got lots of those. Everyone's in a different position in their business and their life. Some people have made bad hires before. They're doing it for the first time. Or they, they've made a bunch of hires, but they just want to. And they've had success and they have a good process, but they just don't want to spend the time on Upwork and Fiverr browsing. And they just want to access our talent pool. And some people want to use my resources and other people never want to talk to me and just want to use the platform. So everyone's in a different position. Makes sense. I, I did want to follow up on one of the things that you touched on. So the woman who was in your case study, so one of the things that 
helped her achieve success was she figured out how to talk to people internationally. So my question for you, what, what are some tips you can share with the audience who are using international VAs on how to best communicate with them? Yeah, I, I just assume nothing. That, that's how I've gotten good at, at it. I mean, I don't assume that they understand anything about business. Over time, as I build a relationship with them, I, I know that they do. But when I'm first working with someone, I don't assume that they understand my business model, my processes, my client base, anything. And I put everything in writing. I try to avoid phone calls or voice calls or Skype calls at all costs because that's how things get lost, that things drop in and out. And there's nothing to go back to. If we have a, a one-hour-long talk and they forget part of it, there, there's nothing there. But if everything's in writing, it's good. So I like to be clear and concise and, and making sure everyone's on the same page. I like to ask questions, make sure that I know they understand it. And then down the line, if they don't get something, I, I pause all work, I take a step back, I reset the expectations or re-explain it and make sure they get it. And only when they do, do I take a step forward. And by doing that, that's how I've been able to have a lot of success and, and not spend time just repeating myself or wake up three months later and be like, wow, this was a terrible hire. Makes total sense. I, I wanted to ask you, and this is kind of a loaded question because nobody's got a crystal ball, but you're in this, you're in this industry and you see the day-to-day. What evolutions, what changes do you see coming to this industry over the next, say, three, five, 10 years? Yeah. I mean, I'm the worst at predicting the future. I mean, if you had asked me 10 years ago if I'd be selling baby products on Amazon, I probably wouldn't have believed you. And if you had asked me five years ago if I'd be running a freelancer marketplace, I wouldn't have believed you. I mean, I think we're going in this direction. I think you're going to see a lot of businesses going in that direction. I think you're going to see a lot of people. You already see, are seeing a lot of people changing from an employee that works with one business to a freelancer that works with a lot. And I think in other countries, I mean, I know I've been made a trip to the Philippines before. They don't really like staying in traffic or driving to work or, or not. or spending time away from their family. A lot of them tend to have large families. So I think everything's going in that work from home, flexibility, have a lot of different clients' direction. Awesome. Well, Nathan, we're at time. I loved the information that you shared with us today. So many practical things. And the idea of of using VAs to free yourself up is, is fantastic. As you know, I wrap up every episode by asking my guests a single question. And that is, what is your biggest helping, the single most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing our conversation today? Yeah. One thing that we didn't talk about is just diversifying across hiring. I mean, I've seen so many entrepreneurs, they, they make a bunch of bad hires and they finally find someone they like and they just load that person up with everything. And they don't realize how risky that makes your business. I had a situation where I did that. I spent six months training someone and at the end, it was awesome. They could run the business without me. And I have this great sidekick. Well, I went on vacation to Myrtle Beach and on the first day he quit on me and six months of training down the drain, I had to start all over again. So just like you would diversify your revenue streams and diversify your suppliers, make sure you're diversifying your hiring too. You don't have to go crazy. If you're getting 10 emails a day, you don't have to hire four customer service reps. But if you're going to hire a full-time VA or a full-time customer service rep, maybe hire two for 20 and they can cover for each other or have different, build that Rolodex of different people that you can rely on. Have two or three graphic designers, you can go do two or three writers. So if someone's too busy, you're not setting back. So make sure that you're diversifying across hiring as you get bigger and bigger. Makes perfect sense. I love that. Nathan, where can people connect with you? Yeah, go to my Facebook group, Outsourcing Masters. Go to freeup.com with three E's. My calendar, my team's calendar is right at the top of the site. You can even talk to one of my VAs and ask them anything you want to know about VAs directly from the source. Create a free account, mention this podcast, get a $25 credit to try us out and, and really appreciate you having me on, Dr. Richard. Is there a specific code that, that people would use listening to this? I'm going to send you a link so you can create a free app page and then you can put that in there. Perfect. Okay. Well, we'll 
we'll do that. Very good. And so we'll have that for for those of you in the car at the gym, we've got you covered. You can check this out in the show notes for this episode, as well as at the Daily Helping app available in iTunes and the Google Play Store. Well, Nathan, thanks again for coming on the show. Loved having you. Great information. Appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. And thanks to each and every one of you who chose to listen to this episode. If you like what you heard, go subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review because that's what helps other people find the show. But most importantly, go out there today, do something nice for someone else, especially if you don't know who they are, and post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others.